listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. A.W. Tozer, who's an American author and pastor and has written some incredible books, he said this. He said, you can have as much of God as you want. And I want you to think about that for a minute. You can have as much of God as you want. Do you want God? I don't know. Maybe you don't really want God or more of God. You just, maybe you just want more from God. Maybe you want more of what God can give you, but you don't actually want God himself. And if only in that moment we could realize that we're, unless we have God, we're not going to have what we want or need. But what a powerful thing to say. You can have as much of God as you want. He went on to write these books called The Knowledge of the Holy, The Pursuit of God, because that really was his life mission. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know more of God. He wanted God more. So here's the question I would have today. Where do you turn if you really want to know God? Where do you turn if you want more of God? Where's your starting point? I mean, if we can have as much of God as we want then where would we begin? Where would we find him? If you lived in AD 60 in Colossae, at a point in, in geographical location where the east and west trade routes met, you would find a place there that was just a mix of a little bit of everything, especially when it came to their pursuit of anything spiritual or anything of God. You had all kinds of teachers and false teachers who would come in there, and they were mixing all kinds of ideas. There was Jewish legalism. There was oriental philosophy. There was pagan astrology. There was mysticism. There was asceticism, which is strict discipline. There was a little bit of touch of Christianity that was thrown in, and everybody was was you know just saying, hey, we just want to take you to a higher place. Even those who, who would say, hey... I, yeah, we like this Christianity thing. We're adding to it and saying, well, you want a little bit more. Like if you want to get to a higher place spiritually, you need to add in some of this too. Uh, we see that happening even in our culture today. We're just going to add more to it. There is definitely that going on. And then you had another whole teaching that was going on, which is this idea that everything that was matter was evil. And therefore, the idea that came from Christianity, this idea that, that Christ was in fact God in the flesh. He was God incarnate. They were saying, well, that's impossible because all matter and human body would be evil. It's inherently evil. And therefore you can't have God in the flesh or else God would be evil. So obviously Jesus is not God. There's no shortage of religions or teachings out there that would say that too. Jesus isn't actually God. He's not really God. And so it was just a mix of all of these ideas that were coming into Colossae that were just overwhelming these people. But here's what was happening as a result. Jesus was being undermined, de-emphasized, devalued, demoted, demeaned as to who he really was. And because of that, without realizing it, they were undermining and demeaning and demoting who God is. Because if you want God, you need Jesus. If you want God, you need Jesus. Wrong beliefs about Jesus actually lead us further away from God. There's no way for those beliefs to lead us closer to him. 
If you want to know God, you need Jesus. If you want God, go to Jesus. This is the very first argument that the Apostle Paul is going to give in the book of Colossians, which is our text today from Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And he writes this. I just want you to know as you read this, this is the reason I would have the audacity to say today that the only way to, God, to know God or to know God more is to go to Jesus. I mean, that seems a pretty strong statement to say that he is the way. He's the solution. Like he's the answer to what it means to know God more. That seems audacious unless we know who he actually is. And Colossians 2.9 tells us who he is. In fact, this is probably, of all passages in Scripture, one of the most clear passages about the deity of Jesus, like who he is. And here it is, Colossians 2.9. The text says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Fullness means completeness. Like Jesus is completely God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. Like he's here. All the fullness of God is right here in the person of Jesus. That doesn't get any more exalted than that. And the root word that Paul uses here for deity this word deity in Colossians 2.9 is theates. Theates. The other word that Paul could have used is theates. Kind of sounds similar. The only difference is one iota. Literally, one iota separates those two words. So theates, I'll put it on the screen so you can see it. Theates means, theates means that you have the characteristics or the qualities of God. That's theates. You have these characteristics or qualities of God. Theates, it means the state of being God. And this is the word that Paul uses in this text. Jesus is actually God. He is deity. Jesus is actually deity. And as if the word deity is not enough here in this text, Paul adds the word fullness to say all the fullness of, of the deity, all the completeness of the deity. He doesn't want it to be, to be misunderstood here. You, you don't find a little bit of God in Jesus and a little bit of God in your history or your ancestors, a little bit of God in you. No, he's saying the fullness of the deity, the completeness of who Jesus is, of, of who God is, is fully in the person of Jesus. God has taken up residence in this person, Jesus of Nazareth, who is our Lord and our King. He is God. And he's building on something here in Colossians 2, 9 that he said earlier in Colossians 1, verse 19, where he said, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. He was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. In Jesus, we see not only what God is like, we actually make contact with God himself. And God has made contact with us in the person of Jesus. Michael DeFazio, he wrote the book, More Jesus. I'll be quoting several things that he shared today where he just talked about how, look, the Bible's very clear that God can dwell wherever God wants to dwell. 
And when we look through history, you can see where at times God dwelled temporarily in certain places. Like we know from Scripture that He dwelled at Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Zion. Israel's songwriters in the, in the Psalms, they wrote about this. Like in, in Psalms 132, verse 13, where it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, He has desired it for His dwelling. Like God dwelled in that place and, and on that mountain. We see at other times in the Old Testament where God dwelled in a tent, a tabernacle, that went with His chosen people. That was to bring us the very one that Paul's talking about. And so he dwelled in a tent for a while. He was in the temple for a period of time. He was in the words of the prophets. That's how Jesus dwelt or God dwelt in those places, in those ways. But as we look here at Colossians 2, we're recognizing here that in Jesus, God took things to a whole new level so that he could dwell permanently in the person of Jesus. He could dwell in Jesus. All the fullness of deity lives, it dwells in bodily form. In the past, there were times when Israel would rebel against God and fall away from God and he would withdraw his presence at times. But now the presence of God has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus who will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us. God has not chosen to permanently dwell in a building. He's not chosen permanently to dwell in a book. He chose to dwell in the body and the person of Jesus. That means Jesus is not one leader among many. He is not some great moral leader. He's not a moralist or a social revolutionary. He's not a self-help guru. He's not just one way up the mountain. He's not just some other prophet or leader. Jesus is fully God. He is fully deity. If you want God, if you want to know God, go to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is everything that you need. He's who you go to. I mean, if you want to go to the ocean, do what some other families are says last week and go to the beach. If you want money, go to an ATM. You want skyscrapers, go to a large city. But if you want God, you go to Jesus. He is the one you go to. And Jesus made this clear. Like seven times in the book of John, he gave I am statements to declare who he was. And there was that one time when he gave the I am statement of who I am, like in John 8, 58. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. He's using a word that only God used to introduce himself to Moses in that burning bush. When God, he said, what's your name? I am. I am. And Jesus is claiming to be God. He gave seven I am statements in the gospel of John. He performed seven miracles in the gospel of John. Seven people said, you're the son of God in the gospel of John. It was like this perfect number seven, 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 showing who Jesus is. There was a blind man that worshiped him. He worshiped him as God. Jesus himself said in John 10 30, I and the father are one. He's one with God. Jesus said he was greater than Jonah, greater than Solomon, greater than Jacob. He was greater than Abraham. He was greater. He had people calling him son of God, like Nathaniel, Martha, even John himself. Jesus even said that he was greater than John the Baptist after he said John the Baptist was the greatest of any man who's ever lived on the earth. Jesus said he's greater than the temple. He's greater than the Sabbath. And the question would be, is Jesus arrogant? Is he arrogant? And the answer is not if he's just revealing who he is. Not if it's true. If it's true and he's revealing to us who he is, there's nothing arrogant about that. He's revealing that he actually, in fact, is God. And even God the Father confirmed this twice. In his baptism, Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father, booming voice from heaven, declares, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to him. Jesus is God. He is deity. 
You can just ask the angels, what would they say? And they would say, a Savior's been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. He's God. You can ask John the Baptist, and he'll tell you he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You can ask the demons, what do you think of Jesus? And they'll tell you, what do you want with us, Son of the Most High God? You can ask Judas, what do you think of Jesus? And he will say, I've betrayed innocent blood. You can ask Pilate, what do you think of Jesus? And he will tell you, I find no fault in this just man. You can ask a Roman centurion who was there at the cross, what do you think of Jesus? And he would say, surely this must be the Son of God. You can ask Thomas, what do you think of Jesus? And he would fall to his feet and look up and say, my Lord and my God. You can ask Peter, what do you think of Jesus? And he will say, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord, that's he's God, and he is Christ. And you can ask Paul, what he knows about Jesus. And he will say, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus is fully and completely God in every way. And what that means is that your deepest core, you want God, you need God. Your deepest longings, your deepest desires, your deepest needs are God. He's the void that you are missing, which kind of indicates something. If Jesus is full, if he's completely fullness of God, we are not full in and of ourselves. We are messed up. We are broken. We are weak. We need help. We have a void in our life. And the question would be, would you like to be brought to fullness? And if so, how do you go about that? Do you want to experience fullness in your own life? And I'm not talking about the kind of fullness that comes with a meal. I know you're 1030 service, so already your stomach growled once, probably after communion. And so now you're starting to think about fullness in that way. And, and that is a blessing from God. The Bible tells us that all food and drink is a gift from the Lord to be received with gratitude. And it's for our enjoyment. And we do enjoy it. It's like here at Northside, right? I'm just telling you, I don't know if you know Lisa Buckler or not. Lisa Buckler has been one of the great blessings to our staff teams. Like every month when we have our all staff meetings for like a year and a half, two years, I don't know, it's been a long time. But every month she comes into the church and she cooks for us, for our staff. So when we have our big all staff meeting, she comes in, she cooks for all of us, she makes lunch. A lot of times you know it's happening before it's, you even know what's happening because you just start smelling that homemade Lisa Buckler bread that she has. Some of you, if she cooked for a leadership team meeting on a Sunday, you'll walk out of here to go pick up your kids and you thought you were going to go to get your kids and then you start smelling this baked bread. That's happened to some of you before. And you just, next thing you know, you're in the kitchen. You're just in the kitchen. There's bread there. And you're asking what it's for. And she's like, it's not for you. And so uh, she is amazing. And I'm telling you, when we have lunch with Lisa Buckler and we eat that homemade bread that she makes, it's just unbelievable. And it smells so good. Like there is a fullness that you feel that is contentment. And just, it it reminds you of of the feast that's going to happen in heaven. It's what happens when you eat that. But the fullness that I'm talking about right now goes to such a greater level than that. The fullness I'm talking about is the kind that comes to you that you need because you know that you're spiritually incomplete. Like you know you're lacking, you're sinful, you're guilty, you're spiritually depraved and broken in need of fullness. I'm talking about the kind of fullness that comes whenever you come into a relationship with Jesus and he reconciles you by his forgiving grace and then he changes you with his transforming grace and then he brings you peace and righteousness, and a fullness that comes when you feel the energizing of God's Holy Spirit who washes over you. 
The kind of fullness that comes when mentally and spiritually you become whole and complete in Jesus. The kind that removes shame and guilt. The kind of fullness when you realize you have everything you need for life and for godliness in Jesus Christ. There's a fullness there that comes into your life that nothing else can give. Nothing else can offer. And Paul talks about this right here in this text. Colossians 2, 9-10. He says, for in Christ all the fullness lives in bodily form. So Christ has all the fullness of deity. And then he goes on and says this, And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. See, the fullness of God is in Christ. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. The fullness of God is in Christ, and in Christ you too have been brought to fullness. I want us to think about this for a minute. If you want to be made full, go to Jesus. He's the one that makes you full and whole and complete. Paul's writing to people who have been trying everything and anything else, and they're not whole and they're not full. He's like, if you want to be brought to fullness, go to the one who is fully God. Go to him. Quit going and chasing after all this other stuff that doesn't satisfy It will lead you into dark, evil places when you're not being filled with Jesus. He's what you need. He is the answer to everything. So when you watched the news this week and you saw Hamas and you started looking at killings and the terrorist attacks and beheadings and and kidnappings and, and rape and torture and everything else that was happening, just pure evil that is going on, we know the answer for Hamas is Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Whatever they're pursuing, they can call it jihad, holy war, whatever to get to God. You're not going to get to God unless you have Jesus. And if you're Israel and you're under attack right now and we're praying for all of that, but what Israel needs the most is Jesus. The one that that God led to his people, the chosen people that he brought the Messiah to the world. They need Jesus. What we need more than anything else in the greater Springfield area, in this region of our world, we need Jesus. Because apart from him, we're nothing. Apart from him, we're drifting. We're desperate for him. He's everything. He's the one we need. We need to be made full. If you want to be made full, you go to Jesus. Because when you don't go to Jesus and you go to other things, You're buying into a lie from our enemy that says, Jesus is not enough for you. You need something else. It's why we sin. It's why we give into temptation and greed and materialism. And and we we refuse to give up control. It's why we lust. It's why we commit adultery. It's why we we have selfishness and gossip and divorce and busyness and, and success at all costs. It's why there's sexual sin and indulgence and seeking pleasure. Because we assume that we're going to find our fullness and our wholeness in someone or something else. Haven't? You already tried enough to know that someone or something else does not satisfy? Haven't all of us already been there? Surely, we've all already been to the place where we tried to find fullness outside of Jesus and we came up empty. We don't have what we want or need. 
That's why 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says Christ's divine power, that divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And he's given us all the precious promises of Christ so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Think about that. Divine power from Christ is allowing us to participate in the divine nature. That does not mean that we are God. It means we get to participate in who Jesus is fully. We get to be aligned with his goodness and, and that nature that he is changing in us. If you've ever, ever wanted to experience fullness, you're going to find it in Jesus. And if you're not experiencing that fullness or that peace or that shalom or that wholeness, you need to go to Jesus. He's the only one. I know this is uh, that time of year when, man, college football is, you know, the big thing. Every Saturday morning, a lot of you are waking up, college game day is on. And, and uh, I know a lot of you love watching that. Of course, the talk of college football early on in the season, and it's not quite as intense as it was for the last, you know, several months, but it's been this, this Colorado football team and Deion Sanders who went in there to turn things around and all of that. And when all of that was going on, I remembered back years ago, I, I shared this about Dion because back in 2011, he was being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, as Dion is getting inducted into that football Hall of Fame, he gave a speech there, uh, so 12 years ago. And in his acceptance speech, he broke down. And of course, as part of that, when he broke down emotionally, was he was looking at his mom and thanking her for how she had worked different jobs for him and how much she had sacrificed. And he said, if, you, if your dream is all about you, there's something wrong with you. And, and he was talking about what she had contributed. But then he went on to say this. He said in his speech, everything I touched turned to gold. Everything I touched turned to gold. But inside, I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one, after way, one afternoon, away from everybody, and tears were running down my face. And I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I'm so unhappy. We're winning every week. I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything. He said, I tried parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything the world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. He said, the Bible describes it in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as chasing after the wind. And that's exactly what I was like. Now, Deion Sanders is pretty fast. Well, he would claim he's the fastest. Like He would claim that the 40-yard dash before it was timed digitally, he had the fastest time. Of course, he said that. You know, there's no surprises. But... But even Dion says, I, I couldn't catch the wind that I was chasing after. It was empty. It was meaningless. He chose to use the exact same words that Solomon, a man who had everything, and he too pursued everything, whether it was success and buildings and architecture and palaces and power and control, whether it was wine or women or education or wealth. He tried it all. And it was Solomon that Dion is is quoting because Dion said, everything I, I touched turned to gold. Solomon had plenty of that and silver and whatever else. But Solomon said it was empty. The word he uses is meaningless. It was in vain. It was for naught. There was nothing of substance there when he tried everything this world had to offer. It doesn't matter what you can take away from Jesus and pursue whatever's the opposite of him. You can add everything you want to Jesus. Whatever you add, whatever you take away, whatever you pursue, it is meaningless. It is empty apart from him. 
It's a chasing after the wind. If you want fullness, you go to Jesus. And every one of us are tempted in our spiritual journey at times to go away from Jesus and to pursue something else to find wholeness or what we desire. And what we really want is God. And if you want God, go to Jesus. If you want fullness, go to Jesus. Let me just say this. If you want to be saved thoroughly, you go to Jesus. If you want to be saved today, and this means a lot because it's only in salvation that you can find yourself whole, free of guilt, forgiven, healed. If you want to be saved thoroughly, you go to Jesus. And what Paul does right now in this text is he tells the story of Jesus. And he says the story of Jesus must become our story. What happened with Jesus must happen with us. And the story of Jesus that Paul talks about is that Jesus lived and then he died and was buried and he rose from the dead to a new life. And he says, you've got to experience that too. You've got to die, you've got to be buried, and you've got to raise to a new life. A new life with Jesus. So here's how he talks about it. Let's look at the text. It's Colossians 2, verses 11 through 14. Here's what he says. In him... In Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And here's what Paul is saying in this text. Just like Jesus died, buried, rose from the dead, you too must experience that in your own life. And that happens. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in the God, in, in his working, who raised Jesus from the dead, it happens when you put your faith in him and you're baptized into Christ. He says what happens is Jesus cuts off the flesh nature. He says that sin nature, that part of you right here that stands against you in which you are mortal and weak and guilty and you're a slave, you're a slave to it. There's no way out from under it from the seduction of sin. That sin nature of you that that wants the sin, that prefers the sin over God. He cuts that off. Who does? Jesus does. How? By your faith in him. When you're baptized into Christ and you go under and you come up out of that water, Paul says right here, that is cut off in some mysterious way. God reaches down to the core of your being and he flips a switch where your deepest motivation is not for sin, but it's for him. It's for God. We're no longer powerless to resist those desires. We're no longer imprisoned by our sin. We're no longer living in guilt and shame, which by the way, if you live with guilt and shame, it only sends you deeper into pursuing things that would make you feel whole away from Jesus because he came to deal, deal away, do away with guilt and shame. Our spiritual DNA has forever been altered by this source of new life that flows into our lives through the power of Jesus. I mean, this is the amazing part of what God does. If you want God, go to Jesus. If you want fullness, you go to Jesus. If you want to be saved thoroughly, you go to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who has the power to cut off this sin that stands against us. 
And when you look at this text, it's really powerful what it says about this. It says that Jesus has canceled the indebtedness that we owe. We are so indebted to God because of our sins. We are so dead in our sins. But that, that legal document of indebtedness, where it's list after list of both sins of omission and commission, it says here that Jesus has canceled it. It's the idea that it's written in wax, and then something hot just goes right over the wax and just takes it away, just removes it. It's no longer there. And just in case something were to show up for whatever reason, Jesus nails it to the cross. Other than Jesus and a sign above his head, I don't think there's any scripture that I know of in the Bible that says that there's something else getting nailed to the cross other than Jesus. And it's this, it's that legal indebtedness against you. He's nailed it to the cross. So today, if you're in Christ and you're here thinking, you know, about the guilt and the shame and your past and what's happened in the past, I just need to ask, where, where is that legal document of your past? And the answer is it's nailed to a cross. Wherever the cross is, that's where that is. And it's been wiped clean and it's been done away with and Jesus has done that. So Jesus removes our debt, but not only that, Jesus removes the basis of accusation. That is really Satan's greatest tool against you is to accuse you. And every time you step out of God's will for your life and you rebel against God and you, you sin in some way, you are given Satan reason to accuse And he comes against you and he brings it before the throne. He is the accuser of the brothers. That is Satan's role. And today we need to understand what happens when he brings accusations before the throne. Now look, I don't know what you did last night. I don't know what you've done in the past week. If you sinned against God, then confess it and repent. And turn back to the Lord. Do that. But whatever it is that you gave Satan cause to accuse you of, if you're in Christ, you need to know Satan has taken those arrows. The blood of Jesus covers your sins. It's just like in the Old Testament. Whenever the blood covered the doorpost, when the people were in Egypt and the death angel passed over them, not because they were perfect, not by any means. It was because the blood covered them. Galatians 3 talks about how we've been clothed with Christ and how the blood of Jesus covers us. God sees us as holy and pure in Christ. The blood has forgiven us and covered us. We don't have to live in shame and live in guilt anymore. That accuser can't keep bringing things up against you. Although sometimes you live like he is. You live like he is. We have to recognize we're a new person. That sin's been cut off and removed. And because of that, God counts us dead to sin, like we're dead to sin. And we need to start seeing ourselves that way and realizing sin doesn't have power over us. Christ has the power over us. We don't have to give in to to sin's dominion in our lives, not at all. We We don't copy the behavior of this world. We let God transform us by his transforming grace to make us more like Jesus. It does not mean we're sinless. We sin. In fact, 1 John tells us if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. That's what it says. He says don't sin, but when you do, you have an advocate in your defense, Jesus, the righteous one. He stands in your defense. 
And because of that, we don't have to live in guilt anymore. Look, I, I don't know. What, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that unpaid, unpayable debt that you owe to God because of your sin? What are you going to do with that? You've got five options of what you can do with that. Here's the first one. You can just deny it and live a lie pretending that you don't have, you've not done anything wrong. I mean, you can just live like that. Like, you know, I, I haven't done anything wrong and, and I'm not going to let anybody make me feel guilty. I'm going to do what I want. You live your life, I'll live mine. You, know, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. We, we can take that approach. Well, that doesn't end well. Number two, we can just embrace it and go wild. There's times that people just realize, I've, I've already screwed up, I've already messed up, I might as well just keep going all the way. I, I mean, what? might as well go for it and live it up. Apparently, whenever you don't know who... God is, you might be tempted to do it. But number three, we can do this. We can just bear it and live with the guilt. Like we live with regret and guilt and shame. We know we did wrong. And so we just beat ourselves up and we constantly live with it, which just sends us into more unhealthy behavior because we live with the guilt. I mean, that's what some of the Colossians were doing. They they felt guilty and they weren't allowing Jesus to remove it. So there must be something else we got to add to this is Jesus plus this in order to do it. That doesn't turn out well. Number four, we could doubt Jesus and just start seeking other solutions. But I would just prayerfully hope that every one of us realize so many who have gone before us have already done that and it didn't work. I hope we could learn from their lives and not be so arrogant to think that, well, we're different. It just leads us into this endless binding cycle of chasing after something when there's nothing. Or number five is this we could release the burden of our debt and live in peace. We can turn to Jesus and release the burden of our debt and just live in peace, live in wholeness, live in fullness, live in completeness that he gives. We can accept him at his word and accept the sacrifice that he's made on our behalf. We can trust in the working of God who raised Jesus from the dead to do the same for you. You can trust in Christ's sufficiency in his death on the cross who has wiped clean the debt and he's canceled it by nailing it to the cross. You can believe him. You can trust him that you can be freed from that burden of guilt and you can know that and experience life in him that all these other things that we're pursuing and chasing are not going to fulfill. We, it's only found in Jesus. I, I, my prayer is that you would want God. And if you want God, go to Jesus. My prayer is that you'd experience the fullness of God. If you want to be made full, you go to Jesus. My prayer is that you can experience the salvation that God gives where you don't live any other day from this day forward with guilt or shame or regret. It's all been forgiven by Jesus. If you want that, you go to Jesus. He's the solution to it all. He's the answer to it all. He's who and what we need. There's nothing else that will satisfy. And the question today is, do we believe this? Will we live this? Will we follow this? this? Will we identify with this? And that is my prayer. And I just want to take a moment to pray for this, for us to spend a little bit of time in prayer together. And I just want you to know that here in a moment, our prayer team is going to be coming to the sides of the room and down front in the room. They're here to pray with you. They they have the shirts. Can I pray with you? They've already been praying for you. They've already been praying with many people this morning. They're here to pray with you right now that you can experience whatever it is that you need God to bring into your life. And then I also want you to know that I'm available today. I'll be over here at Decision Point through these double doors. And if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, maybe you want to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you want to place membership in this church and partner with what God's doing. Maybe you just have something else that you just want to pray or talk about. I'm available. Would love to meet with you. 
And if you're watching online, go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. And that will begin a relationship with us where we can begin to talk and share together. But I want us just to take a moment to pray. And let's ask God to open our eyes to the fullness of Jesus. To open our eyes to the fullness that he wants to give. That we can participate in the divine nature of Jesus. Now let's pray that each and every one of us have confessed and believed and repented and been baptized into Christ. We can experience what Colossians 2 is talking about, that cutting off of a sin nature that stands opposed to us. We can be free, forgiven, and healed, and whole. And so, Lord Jesus, we're just praying right now to you, God. To whom else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of life. You're everything we need for life and godliness. You're our rock and our refuge. You are our savior and our king. You're the one who heals and who reconciles. You're the one who brings together God with us and us with other people. Jesus, apart from you, we are nothing. You're the vine. We're just the branch. Clinging to you, finding you as our life source. And Jesus, we pray today that we would not undermine you devalue you. Oh Lord, help us to see Jesus for who he really is. Fully God in every way who is with us and for us. Who is our advocate. Who stands in our defense. The one who gave up his life and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, we need you. And Lord, we live in a world that is desperate for you. And Lord, you've called us to follow you and to submit our lives to you. But that's not the only call. Lord, you've called us to help others know who Jesus is fully. For others to experience his grace and forgiveness. For others to be reconciled back to you. Lord, we're your ambassadors going into a world with this message of reconciliation. And Lord, I just want to pray today that God, this knowledge, this information would be just so ingrained into our hearts and into our minds. We don't live in guilt or shame any longer. We don't hold on to our past and drag it with us. We allow you to take it away and nail it to the cross and make that slate clean so we can help others experience that grace and forgiveness that's in you. Lord, I want to pray that that, God, you would open our eyes to the lie of the enemy who's constantly trying to subtract from Jesus or add things to Jesus. It's all a lie because the only thing that matters is Jesus. He's everything we need. So, Lord, may we be made complete in him. Lord, I pray this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, today as you're leaving, I think it'd be good just to be reminded in Mark chapter 12 of a, of a woman who went to worship the Lord. Jesus was standing across from the temple treasury as she was worshiping the Lord. and She went and put two copper coins, it amounts to some pennies, She gives it to the Lord as her act of worship. She didn't draw any attention to herself. It was the religious leaders 
who were very wealthy that drew all the attention and the clanging of all the money that they would throw into these coffers and these things is that they were, they were given to the Lord. It was good for them to give to the Lord. It was good for her to give to the Lord. But Jesus points out to his disciples, his followers, do you see that woman? No, they hadn't seen her yet. He had to point it out to them. She wouldn't have been one to stand out. He said she gave more than anyone because she gave everything she had. Why would someone like that give what they have to the Lord? I'll tell you why. Because she believed that God had everything that she needed. She wanted God. She wanted more of God. So she would give back what he had given to her. She gave to God. As we leave today, I know on a weekly basis, we come to worship. We come part of that act of worship as we give to the Lord. And there's offering boxes at the back of the room and there's information on the screens if you want to give. But let this be a moment, even, even in our giving, let it be a declaration of Christ's fullness in our lives. He has everything we need. So God, this is our act of worship to you. We give our first and best to you as scripture tells us to. But not only that, but we give because we know he's everything. It's an act of love. It's an act of commitment and knowing that this message of salvation wants, God wants to send that to the world. And so we give today as an act of worship to see that gospel go. So let this be the ways that we respond. If you would just stand to your feet right now, uh, I want to be stepping out to the decision point. would love to meet you there as we sing this new song that our team's going to be leading us in. Let's, let's fix our eyes on Jesus through this. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.